This is T. And this is Cal. Welcome to Dropping the Dime on True Crime, a true crime podcast. Hey, Kelly, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm great. How was your trip to the Dominican? It was amazing. It was so good to get away. The weather was great. The resort was amazing. That is fantastic. Yes, I'm sure nobody wants to hear about my trip, but... I mean, um, I do, but yeah, who knows? Well, I've, we've already talked about it, sent you pictures and all that. But something <laughs> something a little funny happened. So I've been married for almost 33 years. It'll be 33 this year in November. And, you know, that's a long time. You think you know somebody after 33 years, right? I would think after 33 I mean, years you would. Yeah, he was 19 when we got married. So you'd think I would know everything about this man. So almost everybody there speaks Spanish, right? Correct. So we're on the way to the resort and everyone's speaking Spanish and he's kind of speaking English because some of them, they speak English and Spanish. I don't know any Spanish except for hola. So, you know, that's fine. You know, like the second day into it, we're drinking and having a good time and everything. And all of a sudden he starts speaking fluent Spanish. I Aaron? Yes. I kid you not. What? And I was like, no, yes, he was drinking a little bit. I'm like, what the fuck? Who the fuck are you? Like it was... Don't get me wrong. It was very sexy that he was like all of a sudden like speaking in Spanish. And and I'm like, where did you learn that? He's like, oh, you know, I had Spanish in middle school and a little bit in high school. And I'm like, but how do you remember all of this? And then he's telling me like, oh, yeah, when when we were in the Navy and I was out in San Diego, we'd go to Mexico and I would go. My buddies always wanted me to go because I could translate for them. And then when they were on their ship, anytime they went into port, they would take them with so he could translate for him I'm like are you kidding me he's like yeah but most of the time I was drunk and of course when I was in high school learning Spanish I was drunk too so I'm like oh so maybe that's it only when you're drinking you're able to speak fluent Spanish and then I saw this interview by Ben Affleck I have heard about that but I haven't heard it yes so I'm gonna play this apparently he's fluent in Spanish yes La cosa importante a entender es que este no es la historia de Michael Jordan. Y también uh, Michael Jordan no se aparece en la, en la película. Ben Affleck. Holy yes. shit. Yeah. The internet with his impressive. That was Ben Affleck. I saw yes. that with my own eyes. That was my husband. Damn. He That's what like... he sounded like. That's exactly what he sounded like. And yeah. I was like, can you imagine if all of a sudden Brian started talking like that? You'd Hell be like, no. who the fuck are you? Hell no. Ben Affleck sounded like somebody that was on Univision. Yeah. The Spanish channel. I know. I mean, who would have known? But anyway, I I just thought that whole thing. And then on the way back, people were like, oh, you speak fluent Spanish. And they'd have conversation. I'd be like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, that's awesome. All right, Tony. So I'm ready to hear your crime. I can't wait to hear. We haven't even talked about this one, so I have no idea what your crime's about today. Ooh, it's kind of a gruesome one. Oh, so that's all right. Let's Let's get into it. This is the random and senseless murder of Kim Cates. Kim Cates. Kim Cates. At 4 a.m. on Sunday, October 4th, a horrific home invasion in Mont Vernon, New Hampshire, would change the Cates family forever, Kelly. Okay. The town of Mont Vernon, New Hampshire, is nestled in the south-central part of the state, and it's about 60 miles northwest of Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. You know, New Hampshire's a very small state as it is. 
It's in Hillsborough County. Now, the population at the time was about 2,500 people. So we're talking a small, this was a small town. It was a very, yes, a very trusting community. It was one of those towns where everybody knew everybody and doors were rarely locked. And for years, the only crime the residents of Mont Vernon saw was on the news in the bigger cities of New England. Okay. So nothing ever happened around there. 42-year-old Kimberly Cates was a wife to David Cates and mother to a beloved 11-year-old daughter, Jamie Cates. Kimberly was a well-liked nurse, and she worked at several New England hospitals. She was a native of Ohio. Now, she and David and Jamie, they moved to Mount Vernon in 2004, in part because of the safety and community that the area offered. You know, would when you think of New Hampshire... Do you not think of, like... Like out in the country, just being safe? And yes. Yeah. Being safe is what I definitely right. would think of. Her daughter, Jamie, was a bright, curious sixth grader at Mont Vernon Village School. And Jamie took karate, and Jamie was a black belt. Oh. Yeah, she was a black Good belt. Good for her. Yeah, at 11, she was a black belt. Now, it's been said, Callie, that mother and daughter were extremely close, and they spent a large part of their free time together... And went to a lot of the same classes, like as a mother and daughter team. So I'm guessing maybe they went to karate, Pilates, swim classes, something like that. David Cates was a devoted husband and loving father, and he often traveled for business. The Cates lived on Trowel Road, which was a dirt road that runs through a wooded, isolated section of Hillsborough County. Trowel Road's isolation would prove to be one of the reasons that the intruders chose their house. In the weeks before the attacks, the intruders had driven up and down several isolated and secluded roads until they decided on Trowel Road. Now, David Cates, Kimberly's husband and Jamie's father, he was away on business the night of October 4th, leaving the two women home alone at the end of Dark Trowel Road. If either Jamie or Kim had been awake just before dawn, maybe watching TV or reading, they probably would have known that something was wrong when their house went dark just before 4 a.m. Because the house's power lines were cut in preparation for the gruesome events. At first, it seemed as if the attackers had chosen well and had made few mistakes. According to one of the first reports on the story in the hours after the attack, the only evidence the police had was a tire track left in the dirt of Trowel Road. And according to Jamie, they were looking for a quote-unquote white man. So that's all she knew. Okay. It was a white man. So she saw the person. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into that, too. Investigators would not be in the dark for long. The killers would all but deliver themselves to authorities. Let's talk about the Disciples of Destruction, or DOD. 17-year-old Stephen Spader had formed a club called the Disciples of Destruction about a month before Kim Kate's murder. He recruited three of his friends to be in this club. Spader designed a logo with the initials DOD. Like many suburban kids with too much time on their hands, the Disciples of Destruction were drawn together by a shared fascination with the cultures of death and mayhem. Oh, so now this was a kid? High school? 17 years old, yes. 
they admired the Manson family and the Zodiac Killer, and they were self-proclaimed juggalos. Do you know what juggalos are? I do not. Juggalos are people that f- are, like, fans of the Insane Clown Posse band. What? Insane Clown Posse? You've never heard of them? No. Oh, you're going to have to Google them. So, Insane Clown Posse, they're known for their, like, basically celebration of violence. Oh. And they wear, like, clown makeup. You're going to have to Google them. Google them. What are they called again? Insane Clown Posse. P-O-S-S-E. Posse. Spader told his recruits that the initiation rite for club members would be a home invasion. Ooh. So, we're waiting on Kelly to... Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, they look a little weird. They don't look like clowns. They look like death clown, like death masks or something. And they have songs. They're a band. Boogie woogie woo, chop chop slide. Oh my hocus, god, we, pocus. we sound so old. So we're like <laughs> boogie woogie woo. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, insane clown posse. Hum drum boogie, growing again. Boogie boogie woo, chop chop slide. (laughs) Boogie boogie woo. Piggy pie. I'm going to kill you to catch a predator. Bang bang pow. What is juggalo? Chicken hunting. Rainbows and stuff. (laughs) Tilt the world. Fuck the world. Dead body man. When I'm clowning. Down with the clown. Mad professor. How many times? I want shit. Bader told his recruits that the initiation rite for club members would be a home invasion. Quote, we're about to do the most evil thing this town has ever seen, unquote. Stephen Spader, then 17, said as he and three young friends drove to Trow Road. His passengers were Quinn Glover, then 17, William Marks, then 18, and Christopher Gribble, then 20. The nightmare started with a sound in the early morning hours of October 4th of 2009. Kimberly Cates heard a sound in the bedroom where she and her 11-year-old daughter Jamie lay sleeping. She said, Jamie, is that you? She was sleeping with her daughter? Yeah. The dad was out of town. Oh, okay. No, that makes sense then. Yeah. So she said, Jamie, is that you? As she was reaching for the bedside lamp. Yeah, Mom, is what she heard. But... I don't know for a fact that it was Jamie that said that. The light never came on, because remember, they cut the power. Two men, one on either side of the bed, unleashed a storm of blows from a knife and a machete onto the still half-asleep pair. On Kim's side of the bed, the intruder hacked away, furiously swinging his machete like a baseball bat, while on the other side... His literal partner in crime stabbed young Jamie. They pleaded with them saying, you don't have to do this. Please stop. That was Kim saying that. Right. As their assailants neared the end of their hacking slaughter, Kim began to console her daughter Jamie. Even as she struggled to defend them from the rain of blows, she said, everything's going to be okay. How sad is that? It wasn't though. A few final swings of the blade, and then Kim's head was pulled sharply back, and her throat slit. (gasps) Jamie, her daughter, was lifted and thrown across the room, shattering a glass door before lying still, apparently dead. One more blow of the machete on the daughter's inert body, and the assault was over. Oh, so they were both dead? 
We'll get to that. In the final minutes of her life, Kimberly Kate sustained at least 32 injuries, Kelly. Oh my gosh. Her skull was split open, her left eye socket destroyed, several organs were pierced, and some of her bones were hacked to pieces. And her throat was slit too, right? Like that was the final blow? Yeah. She lived through them all, finally dying from massive blood loss from the throat. So she bled out. Now, Jamie, Kimberly's 11-year-old daughter, sustained massive injuries as well. She was struck at least 18 times, and part of her left foot was severed. Her skull was split open, and the force of one of the blows shattered her jaw. But by playing dead, she survived. Now, after these monsters left the house, Jamie's blood-soaked little body struggled to the kitchen and managed to call police. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you this. It's been said that she tried to defend her mother with her karate skills. Oh, my gosh. I know. What fuckers to have done this? That's awful. Yeah. Kelly, as you can imagine, the crime absolutely rocked this community. Now, it would later come out that neither Glover or Marks participated in the actual killing. But they were there. They were there. Glover left the bedroom and ran into the Cates' living room when the assault started. And Marks, although not a participant, allegedly stood at the bedroom door and watched the attack. But they didn't call the police. Correct, and didn't try to stop it. In addition to killing Kim Cates and brutally attacking Jamie, the quote-unquote disciples of destruction made off with a small amount of property, which was one of David Cates' old wallets, that was the husband who was out of town on business, a pearl necklace, and two wooden jewelry boxes. Approximately seven hours after the killing, Gribble allegedly pawned much of the property. Can you guess how much they got? Uh, 50 bucks. Well, it was a little more than that. They got fucking a hundred and thirty dollars oh my gosh for a killing like but that wasn't the purpose of it the purpose of it was to kill right because yes. the home invasion yeah. included killing according to authorities by 5 30 a.m gribble and spader they met up with their friend and accomplice autumn savoy and we'll go more into detail about okay. her later spader's failed attempts to recruit savoy for the actual murders did not keep her from assisting with the cover-up afterward. Gribble, Spader, and Savoy allegedly dumped bloody clothes, shoes, as well as some of the stolen belongings into the Nashua River. After the disposal of the evidence, the group called it a day and went home for some sleep. I guess they were tired from murdering all fucking night. When they woke up, Gribble and Spader met at a mutual friend's house, Kyle Fenton, around 5.30 p.m. to discuss the murder. Now, that was a mistake that helped bust these little assholes. According to police timeline, on the morning of October 5th, Fenton's mother went to the Amherst, New Hampshire police. She had overheard her son's conversation with Spader and Gribble, and she began to fear that her son was somehow implicated in the vicious killings that were being discussed that she had overheard. They bragged about what they had done. They did it for kicks. They did it for thrills. They killed because there were people that could be killed. This wouldn't be the last time that the group 
Spader in particular discussed our handiwork. Spader admitted his work. He enjoyed it. He liked running it over in his mind afterwards. Spader seemed to be an unlikely ringleader, but few people realized the depths of his depravity. Spader had joked previously about waking a woman up with a machete to the skull. Who, who voices something like that? Who says, oh, I want to wake a woman up with a machete to the skull? That's fucked up. That's very fucked up. Kelly, while awaiting trial, you're not going to believe this, but Spader had the audacity to pen an open letter calling the citizens of New Hampshire, quote unquote, uninformed idiots and taking David Cates, who was the husband and father of his victims, to task for openly opposing the inclusion of Marx and Glover in their high school yearbook. In Spader's handwritten letter, he said, it's not Billy and Quinn's fault that they were arrested and charged with what they were charged with. And yet, through all the struggle, they are both still trying to get an education. How is it not their fucking fault? They went along with it. Of course, yeah. They were in a cult. And the cult was, you know, that was part of the plan. They were all in the plan. They did not use the murder weapon to end someone's life. They were fucking there and they didn't try to right. stop it. They didn't immediately run out and call 911. Yeah, so, I mean, they were all part of the plan. So they're all... Exactly. Should equally... You know, if you're sitting there watching it and laughing or whatever you're doing. You were there. They were part of the plan. You were fucking there. And they knew it was premeditated. Exactly. They knew what they were going to do. Kelly, at the same time that Spader wrote the letter to the New Hampshire public, he also was writing a letter to Chad Landry, who was a fellow inmate at the Hillsborough County Jail's maximum security section. He started with, quote... I am probably the most sick and twisted person you will ever meet, unquote. He then went on to write how he, quote, whacked the mother 36 times and could see brains, lots of blood, and her eyeball hanging out of its socket, unquote. That's and fucked up. That's fucked up. You're exactly right. The letters describe the preparation, attack, and the hours and days following the murder in detail. And Kelly, a handwriting expert, testified that the letters were Spader's handwriting. So he couldn't say, oh, I didn't write that. That was someone else. No. Handwriting expert said he wrote this. During the trial, Spader's defense relied on a kind of liar, liar is what they called it, argument. Right. His lawyer said that Spader wrote those letters and bragged about the crime because he wanted the attention, not because he did the crimes. The jury in this case did not buy Spader's lawyer's argument. In October of 2010, a little more than a year after his crime, and get this, on Spader's 19th birthday, he was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder, guilty of attempted murder, guilty of conspiracy to murder, guilty of conspiracy to burglary, guilty of witness tampering. Spader was sentenced to life without parole and an additional 76 years for the attempted murder on young little Jamie Cates. According to the Telegraph, Judge Jillian Abramson made each of the sentences consecutive to one another, and to quote her, to ensure that you stay in that cage for the rest of your pointless life, unquote. Go judge. Now let me tell you about Christopher Gribble, the accomplice. Christopher Gribble 
served as Spader's second-in-command, while Spader slaughtered Kim Cates from one side of the bed with his machete, Gribble is accused of standing at the other side of the bed, repeatedly slashing Jamie Cates with a knife. Now, Gribble, like Spader, was also a former Boy Scout, and before he became entangled with Spader's murderous obsession, Gribble had considered joining the Marines. And there are photographs of Gribble posing with his quote-unquote favorite knife, and they're all over the internet. And wow. in those, like he's grinning when he's holding his knife. Although Gribble's trial was not scheduled to begin until February of 2011, in early December 2010, Gribble surprised the court by pleading not guilty by reason of insanity, but admitting to the crimes. Although Spader has long been considered the ringleader in this thrill killing, Gribble's statements during the trial indict him as being the most cold-blooded of the New Hampshire killing crew. And to quote Gribble, he said, I just felt nothing. It was kind of cool because it was different. It was a curiosity like, oh, that's what bones look like, unquote. Gribble's heartless statements punctuated his testimony in which he claimed to have been more methodical than Stephen Spader. While Spader swung his machete wildly, Gribble wielded his knife with precision. As Gribble said when discussing the moment when he cut Kim Kate's throat, Almost bragging about a skill, he said, quote, I moved very carefully from the carotid artery I cut. I had to adjust at one point because I got the angle wrong. I hit the spine. I remember that, unquote. Oh, my gosh. He said that. He said that, yes. So he has zero remorse. I don't think he does either, yeah. On March 25th, 2011, despite pleading not guilty by reason of insanity, Gribble received as much punishment as the state of New Hampshire would allow. Minutes after the jury returned the verdict against 21-year-old Christopher Gribble, Judge Jillian Abramson opposed the mandatory sentence of life without parole, telling Gribble, quote, infinity is not enough jail time, unquote. That's a fact. Fuck yeah, it's a fact. Now, let's talk about Quinn Glover and William Marks. Glover's attorney managed a plea deal in exchange for the possibility of Glover seeing daylight one day. Glover pleaded guilty to burglary, robbery, and conspiracy to commit burglary. He received a sentence of 20 to 40 years. Glover's squeamishness in the face of the inhumanity displayed by Spader and Gribble may have saved his life. Following Glover's lead, Marks worked out a plea deal arrangement in exchange for 30 to 60 year sentence. Wow. Marks agreed to plead guilty to conspiracy to commit murder, accomplice to first degree murder, and conspiracy to commit burglary. According to the Telegraph, quote, Judge Jillian Abramson rejected the plea deal saying it did not satisfy the goals of sentencing, which include deterrence, rehabilitation, and segregation from the community. Marks subsequently withdrew his guilty plea and went to trial. Marks was ultimately sentenced to 30 to 60 years for conspiracy to commit murder, burglary, and first-degree assault. So the other guy only got the one that pleaded, he got 20 to 40 years? Yeah. So... And this one, yeah. And this was 2011 or 2012? The murder happened in 2009, and some of the trials happened in 2010. It's 2023, so he could potentially have only another seven years. He and could. then he gets out. 
I want to mention some of my resources for this podcast. They include the New Hampshire Union Leader, the Boston Herald, CBSNews.com, the Associated Press, the Boston Globe, the Crime Library, the Telegraph of Nashua, the Town of Mont Vernon website, the Washington Post, Wikipedia, WMUR New Hampshire, CrimeLibrary.org, and Murderpedia. Thank you guys so much for listening. Wow, Tony, that was... It was a horrible crime. You did a really, really good job, though. Well, thank you. Um, talking about it. And it's just insane that the kind of things that people will do and how they want to blame it on cult-like stuff and all that. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the crime that I'm going to be doing next week. And I'm not going to give it away just yet, but it kind of goes into like some cults. And you mentioned Manson before. Yes. We're going to get into that a little bit. But it's basically these groups and stuff. They're basically terrorist groups. There's no difference, you know, because they're basically using what their belief is as an excuse to go out and commit crimes and kill people. And then they and then they use an insanity play because, you know, it's like, well, it was insane. Thankfully, it didn't work for these little assholes. Right. And it doesn't work most of the time. You know what haunts me about this story? What? The fact that He saw her eyeball pop out, and I'm hoping that her daughter did not see that. So the girl, is she okay now? Yep, she survived. Yes. And then the father, obviously, but... Yeah, guys, you can Google Jamie Cates. It's J-A-I-M-I-E. It's spelled a little different than normal Jamie. But Google her, and she's got such a positive attitude, and she's such a sweet-looking young lady... And to have such a positive attitude, knowing what she's gone through, that makes you, like, love her all the more. So, well, thank you, Tony. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, guys. Lock your doors. Lock your windows. And and don't don't become become a statistic. statistic.